Well, really good to see all of you here this morning, and I just also want to personally express to you, to all of you dads out there, I hope this is a great Father's Day. Dads have a significant role in a family, in our church, in our community, in this world, and I want to thank you for all In a new series that we're walking through verse by verse, the book of Ephesians, we've titled this True Church, and we are in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, so if you want to find that, that's where we're going to be. I don't know if you've ever been to one of the fairs where they have one of those house of mirrors. If you've never done this, if you're even like a cheapskate like me and you're like, well, I'm not really sure I need that experience, just do it. Just at least once, walk in, pay your 50 cents or whatever it is that's going to break you, and go in and experience the house of mirrors because it'll totally throw you off. You look at a mirror, all of a sudden in one mirror, like you are like ultra skinny and super tall. And then you move to another mirror, like, whoa, what happened? You're super short and massively wide. Like, whoa, what's going on here? You walk to the next mirror, and you're upside down. Another mirror, your head has been elongated. And it's just like, and it throws you off. You're like, who am I? And what do I really look like? You need to go through that house of mirrors, because walking through this world and living this life is like going through a house of mirrors. You see... This world presents to us all these different images and presents to us the identity that you should have. And so let me tell you what this looks like. You walk through this life and you're always playing that comparison game, right? What does that person look like? Oh, well, I think I'm, I'm better looking than that one than, oh, definitely not. Oh, the, I can't even look over there. And then, of course, well, if it's not about what you look like, then it's about, like, how much money you make or how much you've got accrued. And if it's not that, and you're playing this measuring game about status and and prestige and honors that you've won or positions that you've hold. And then, of course, there's this like, wow, this person is just like, they have such character and they're, they're just so gifted or they've got the ability to really speak or they're so empathetic or they're so caring or kind or loving or whatever. And you're always running this comparison game. And what happens is it throws you into a situation where you're like just totally upside down. You don't even know who you are. And you couple that with all the failures that you have because you don't measure up to all the ideals that are put before you. And guilt becomes that great driver in your life. Oh, you've learned to put on a mask, right? But deep down inside, there is this huge void. You are driven by guilt. You don't even know who you are, what you stand for. Friends, you know what we need? We need a mirror. Not the mirror of culture or the values of this world, but an infallible, inerrant, absolutely 100% accurate mirror. And when you come to Ephesians chapter 1, that is exactly what we have. You need to know this, that our identity as Christians is not in what we do, but it is in who Christ is and what he has done. You see, living well comes by first knowing who you really are. And that's why Ephesians chapter 1 is such an amazing chapter of the Bible. We just have started looking at this. We be, uh, last week, we looked at verses 3 through 6. But I want you to know that just like we saw this, verse 3 through all the way through 14 is one big sentence in Greek, okay? So it's like the master run-on, right? But I want you to know it breaks up into three segments, And each one highlights a different member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see the great work of redemption that God brings about 
through the triunity of God. So verses 3 through 6, we see how God the Father selects us. He initiates our salvation. And if you missed it, last week, we spent the entire time looking at that, like in verse 4, where it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Try that on. God's work of salvation began before even the world was founded. And today, we're going to look at how God the Son saves us, how he secures our salvation, verses 7 through 12, and then verses 13 through 14. We're going to see how God the Spirit seals us. He actually uh, seals us as those who are possessing, possessing salvation. But how you and I live really comes down to what you really believe. What mirror are you looking at? The false mirrors of this world that are going to baffle you and confuse you and drive you to guilt and shame and depression or the mirror of truth that is God's word. Let me show you the truth about God the Son that brings great praise to his people. The first thing you need to see is that God the Son has redeemed us. So he transitions right from verse 6. Notice the final word, beloved. That is a messianic title, meaning the chosen, the one who is chosen in his love. And it speaks of the Son of God. And it speaks of the fact that we are in the beloved, verse 6. So in verse 7, notice what he has done. In him, speaking of Christ, the Son of God, we have redemption through his blood. You see, God the Son has redeemed us. Now, to redeem means the act of purchasing, uh, purchasing from like bondage or purchasing or saving from some sort of like great difficulty, purchasing and saving you from something that you cannot save yourself. And it was used of those who had been redeemed out of slavery. It is estimated in the New Testament times that there were about 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And what this looked like, if you were a slave, I mean, you were totally owned. And slaves were bought and sold on a regular basis. Ephesus was one of the premier places in which slave trade thrived. And so if you were a slave, your only hope of ever having freedom was if someone who cared about you or loved you or a family member would actually purchase you, and then give you a written certificate that said that you were a free person. They literally bought you out of slavery and gave you a certificate. They redeemed you. It was a powerful word. And the original recipients of this letter, that would be exactly what they think about when they heard redemption. You see, you and I, we are born into Adam. We are slaves to sin, right? You're like, really? Well, listen to what Jesus had to say. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. John 8, 34. Have you? Do you commit sin? It tells you something of your condition. You're a sinner. You're a slave to sin. And we sin because it's in our nature, Where does all this come from? All these wicked thoughts, behavior, uh, living in rebellion against God. Where does all this come from? I want you to know it's, we are slaves to sin. And it's all of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, not even one. And so what God has done 
is he has created the way for you and I to be redeemed. And notice what it says, the text says, in him we have redemption through his blood. This is how God had set it up. You see, an innocent one has to die for the guilty. You see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 with the clothing of Adam and Eve after they've sinned. But it was really brought to the forefront uh, right before the great exodus. Remember when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt and God was going to bring them out? That the final plague, the plague of death, God said, listen, you were to take an innocent lamb, you were to sacrifice it, and you were to take that blood and you put it on the lentils and the doorpost of your doors and you huddle into your home. And if you do this, if you obey me, you take my, at my word and you put yourself under that sacrifice, when the angel of death passes over, you will not lose your firstborn. But if you think this is a joke, you don't believe in God, you're like, you gotta be kidding me, or I've got other gods that I'm worshiping, and you disregard what the one true God says, you didn't have the blood applied to your doorpost, guess what? Your firstborn died. And all the sacrifices of Israel, I mean, it, If you read through the Old Testament, look at all the sacrifices, all the blood, and you're like, why? It's because an innocent one has to die in the place of the guilty for forgiveness to be a reality. That is why when the forerunner and the herald of the Messiah, John the Baptist, stood up in John chapter 1, verse 29, it's recorded, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he pointed to Jesus, that is why that is so significant because Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God and he would die as an innocent, perfect sacrifice in the place of sinners so that they could be redeemed. Everyone who believes in him will be redeemed. And I tell you, this redemption that Jesus has brought, he redeems us from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and one day, when we step out of this life into the next, from the very presence of sin itself, we are no longer a slave to sin if we are in relationship and our faith is in Christ. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, you need to know the reason you are always transgressing and always sinning is because you're a slave to sin. It is in our nature. But those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we've been redeemed. He has paid the penalty for our sin, and we are all cut from the same bolt of cloth. We're all guilty before a holy God. Let me give you an illustration that was helpful to me in understanding this this concept. Let's say a month ago, uh, you were driving, and you were a very important person, aren't you, right? And so hence... You're driving quickly because you've got to get to the office. You're running a little bit late, and, of course, you're doing business while you're driving, right? You've got a phone call, but at the same time, you're texting. So because you're going about 65 miles an hour, and you've got a lot of business on the line, and you're running a little bit late, you didn't notice that you moved into that school zone, right? And all of a sudden, you go flying there, and you see, whoa, there's this lady on a bike, and you overcorrect, but you glance, she goes flying. Whoa, there's all these children. You come back over. The car's totally out of control, and you go crashing into a building. Do you know what's going to happen to you? Why, uh, the uh, local law enforcement is going to pay you a visit, and they're going to, first of all, assess if you're okay. And as soon as they make the assessment that you're fine, 
they're going to have you come out of the car and you're going to spend uh, some time with them at the police station. And you are going to start hearing of all the charges that are going to be rightfully brought against you, what you're charged with. And eventually you'll come before a judge. And so that judge, he's going to read through that list of all that you've done. That lady is still in the hospital. All this reckless driving, endangerment, talking on your phone, distracted driving. And that judge is in and said, what, how do you plead? What would you plead? That's you. If you did those things, are you honest enough to say, I did it. <laughs> I'm guilty. And so then the judge says, that's right. You are guilty. And I'll tell you your penalty. I'm going to give you a choice today. You can spend the next 50 years in prison or you can pay a fine of $10 million. Which will it be? Now, how many of you have 50 years? For some of you, 50 years in prison, this is our last time to see you. <laughs> it's over, right? We've, that's it. Really going to put a crimp in your family life and your social life, right? Any of you got $10 million? Probably not. And as you're sitting there kind of contemplating like, whoa, huh, I cannot pay this penalty, then the judge does something surprising. He backs away from the bench. He takes his robe off. He, he opens up his suit coat, and he writes you a check for $10 million, and he says, here, I'm going to give you this. I've signed it. This is my money. You go pay the penalty for your fine. What would you do? Would you accept it or not? Would you accept the check? I want you to answer that question. You would. Okay, well, I got a few that would. I want you to think about it now for what's really happened. Your transgressions are a few more than a traffic violations. You have, and I have sinned before a holy God. And in his justice, he is holding us account. And the wages of sin is death. And so God sent his son, and he paid the perfect sacrifice, and he took God's just wrath against sin upon himself, and he paid for it in full, and the offer is made, will you receive this payment for sin? Friends, you need to answer that question. Are you still going it on your own, or have you been redeemed? Friends, just like you'd be overwhelmed by that judge when we receive the payment that God has done in Christ... We are overwhelmed with love. In fact, you know what it does? It leads to the praise of his glory. It's one of the amazing gifts that God has given us in Jesus. The reason that we are filled with praise is because God the Son has redeemed us. But notice what else he's done. He's also forgiven us. Look what he says. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. He also has forgiven us. We are actually not only forgiven of the debt, like he's, he's redeemed us, but we are forgiven of the guilt. And when he talks about forgiveness, he talks about forgiveness being from the east is to the west. You are now separated from the guilt of your sin. He has completely forgiven you. The guilt is gone. And notice how he refers to it. He refers to it as transgressions, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That means false steps or a deviation from the right path. Or have you ever heard this? You've crossed the line. You know where that phrase comes from? It's a transgression. You are where you do not belong. 
And all of us are transgressors, right? He has forgiven us our missteps, our wrong, our sin, our trespasses. And you need to know that it is the guilt that has been removed. Now, you need to know something. You sin, those actions that you took, those radical statements that you made and you shredded someone, you can't take away the effects of your sin. Some of the physical damage, some of the emotional harm. God can bring healing, oftentimes does, but you need to understand there are some implications and ramifications for your decisions, especially your sin. We've all experienced that. But you need to know this. You are forgiven. The guilt, it's gone if your faith is in Christ. Why? Because he's taken it all out of the way. And here's the problem. We've got so many Christians, they believe in the Lord Jesus, but they're like, man, I totally blew it. I blew it before I knew Christ, maybe even after you started a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you've really messed it up, and you've really transgressed. I want you to know you can be forgiven. The moment you turn from that sin and you trust in him, you are forgiven. When you walk out those doors in a few minutes, if you're a Christian, you need to know the guilt is gone. You don't need to live under a rock. It doesn't need to be like, oh, I'm just so terrible. You need to realize you're no longer under the dark cloud of guilt and despair. You've been forgiven by a God who loves you in Christ. And friends, you're going to sin even as a Christian. Like, you know, I discovered that. Like, I was kind of thinking like, wow, I put my faith in Jesus. And like, we're going to be a new path. And indeed, I was a new creation. But guess what? There was some residual fall in this. And guess what? I still sinned. Like, pretty badly. I'm like, whoa, okay. And I felt, I felt the guilt. I mean, right? As a Christian, don't you feel like, whoa, this is not right? That's why the first verse in the Bible that I memorized was 1 John 1, 9. You know what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I confess. I'm, I'm broken over it. I don't want to go back to that. Forgiven. I walk in the newness of life. And friends, that's what he's given us in Jesus. In fact, notice he's given it through grace or how he ended that in verse 8. He says, which he lavished on us. It's undeserved, it's unmerited favor, and it's super abundantly, lavishly poured out upon you. Friends, when you realize what God has done for us and you look at the mirror of truth, you know what it does? It fills you with praise. Let me show you something else about the truth of God's Son that brings praise to his people. God, through Jesus Christ, has not only forgiven us and redeemed us, but notice this. He has revealed his will to us. So look at verse 8. He says, In all wisdom and insight, verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. So he's, he's setting all of this up for this next statement. You don't want to miss it. What is it that he's focusing on? That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth. You see, God has revealed his will. He's given it to us in all wisdom and insight. 
Wisdom speaks of the ability to understand ultimate things and insight, intelligent understanding. God has revealed in his word this mystery. Now, the word mystery means something that has not been previously known. The Jews, reading the Old Testament, they could have no idea that God was going to reconcile both Jews and Greeks, bring them together in one body, bring forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this Messiah, and bring them all together to one whole and where everything, both seen and unseen, all things are going to be unified in Jesus, the Messiah. They just could have never figured that out. It was a mystery. But it is made absolutely clear in the Bible. And in all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us this mystery. And what is it? It is the mystery where he is actually summing up all things in Christ. At the fullness of time, God is going to reconcile and bring together every single thing in Christ at the perfect time. So that means this summing up is that God is bringing people together in Christ. He is going to be removing all evil. Justice is going to be meted out to all who reject his justice that has been actually demonstrated in Christ. And there is going to be this universal reconciliation. Reconciliation between God and man, different all people that are believing him, but even reconciliation of relationships. Everything is going to be summed up together in Christ. You see, God bringing salvation, many people just are focused on, well, that's just so I can get into heaven. And yes, that is a glorious reality. But it's far greater than that. God sending his son is all part of his perfect plan to bring all things together in unity in him. And as you read the book of Ephesians, always keep that in mind. Keep in mind it is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heaven and things on the earth. And this is what he's done. He's revealed his will. So what do you do with that? We're meant to study it. We want to get to know the fullness of the truth that all things are going to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We savor it. We worship God. Like We rejoice in that. And we also spread the news that God has sent a savior. He is Christ Jesus, the Lord. And everything is going to be brought together in him. He will remove all evil. And everything that remains is going to be unified in him. Now, right now, do we see everything unified in Christ? No. (laughs) If you're reading the news and watching human behavior, we've got the opposite going on, right? We've got people that are in outright rebellion against God. They are living lives just in rejection of his truth. They don't care. It's all self-centered. It's all about them and what they can do and what they can accomplish. We We are absolutely at a point in our society where we call what God says good, evil, and what God says is evil, oh, this is our cultural value, and we'll celebrate it, and you better celebrate it, or else we're going to cancel you, and we're going to make life real hard on you. I want you to know that is where we're at. We have people living in outright rebellion against God, 
They want to put an end to anything that has to do with Christ, his word, his truth. You have immorality, greed, pride, just thriving in our culture and celebrate. It's like no big deal. But I want you to know God is in the process of bringing everything together in Christ. He is presently offering to every one of us who are sinners redemption, forgiveness. It is found in Christ and Christ alone. But one day, in the fullness of time, he's going to sum it all up in him. Friends, I'll tell you what, this is a marvelous gift that God has given us. He has revealed all of this in his word. We study it, we savor it, and we spread the news. Like, people aren't going to be very interested in hearing about those sort of things. Hey, I happen to love people. I want them to know the truth, right? You got to get over, like, I just got to keep people happy with me. I don't want to make any waves, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I don't think you love people maybe as deeply as you say that you do if you're not willing to tell them the truth and love and lead them to the Savior in whom all things are going to be summed up and he is going to be the head. Wow. When you let this truth, when this truth sink into your life that God has redeemed us, forgiven us, and revealed his will to us in Jesus Christ, you know what that does? For the thinking person, the heart that is engaged... That leads to a lot of worship. If you want to move past superficiality or just like, well, worship for me is just about getting some sort of emotional uh, high, you know, I just need to kind of feel a little bit of a buzz, just kind of singing, just it's all about the emotions for me. No, we're talking depth of worship where you're worshiping and honoring the one true living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You want depth? Friends, you want to soak in this truth and have it flow through your life, through your heart, through your mind and express to God in worship. Friends, we got a lot of reasons to praise God, don't we? And we see it right here with God the Son. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's revealed his will to us. But let me show you something else here. He has provided an eternal inheritance for us. Take a look at the end of verse 10. Notice how he says, in him. And then he moves on to verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be, uh, here it is again, to the praise of his glory. God has provided for us an eternal inheritance. I want you to know that if your faith is in Christ, like you really know him, you're trusting in him, You're already starting to receive that inheritance. There is a present receiving. You have forgiveness, joy, peace, love from God. He has actually given us his Holy Spirit in our lives. He has given us his word, truth. I mean, we don't have to like guess what right and wrong is. We don't have to like, well, I'm not sure how to walk with God or what the right way is. He's clearly made it in revealed in his word. All of these are gifts. He's given us the body of Christ. He's given us people to love. He's given us opportunity to serve, purpose. The huge void in our life is filled with his presence. These are part of the present inheritance. But friends, the best is yet to come. Yeah, this life, it's great. Sometimes, right? Sometimes not so much, right? But I want you to know, this life is short. We are eternal, right? 
And you're either going to spend eternity apart from him because you're smarter than God and you're not going to do it his way and you're not going to trust in his son or you're going to realize, whoa, man, I am a serious sinner and God has done the most amazing thing. He's brought reconciliation and redemption through Jesus and I'm trusting him or you will spend eternity, if Christ is your savior, with him. And I'll tell you what this will look like. God will eventually give us bodies that are fit for eternity so that we'll be able to enjoy his amazing creativity. We will always be in awe and wonder and splendor. All the reconciliation that we have with him and with his people, every tribe, tongue, and nation all gathered together, people from all sorts of backgrounds, God has rescued from all sorts of pits of deep depravity and brought them into cleansing and oneness in Christ. Friends, it's going to be an amazing celebration that never ends. It is our glorious inheritance and God has given to us in Christ. It is according to the counsel of his will. Notice that he actually has predestined that. Do you see that? You see that in verse uh, 11? He says, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. God is not just like responding or things are spinning out of control. I want you to know he is systematically working all things together for his will just as he has predestined it to happen. It is happening right now. And when you let this glorious hope, remember he says like we are the first to hope in Christ, means like the first to believe, that is continuing even to this day. And when we believe the truth that he has given us, the response, awe, worship, to the praise of his glory. So, friends, what we need to do is develop patterns in our life where we are regularly looking at the mirror of God's word. We want to develop patterns in our life where we are seeing his redemption and loving his forgiveness, studying our inheritance and studying what it means to know his will. And the other thing that you need to know is that, friends, the purpose of your life is not you. The purpose of life is to know the very God who made you, who redeemed you, who desires that you and I spend eternity with him, to know his fullness and his grace. And until we get to that point, you're going to be just eating the trash of this world. You are going to walk around in your confusion and your spare. You're going to keep looking at the mirrors of this world and like, man, I don't even know what's right and what's wrong and everything is upside down. I don't even know what I really look like. That is your life. And if you stay that way, that is your eternal destruction. You're apart from God. But on the other hand, if you trust in Christ and look at the mirror of his word, friends, that is the purpose of life, to know him to love him, and to enjoy him forever. Friends, we got to stop making a pattern of looking at the mirrors of this world all the time and keep looking at the mirror of truth. And friends, when we do this, when we let these truths sink into our hearts and our minds and we really rejoice over this, you know what happens? We live differently. We serve differently. We actually start serving We love differently, we give differently, we worship differently when our hearts and minds are infused with the truth. 
And friends, I want you to know for the first recipients of this letter, and this was everything to them. You and I, we don't know what it's like to be branded, enslaved, tattooed, because we are a slave. But I want you to know the original recipients, many of them were slaves. Some had been redeemed and were former slaves. But I want you to know they had a glorious reality that you know what? We are no longer slaves, no matter what our earthly condition, because we are in Christ and we have every reason to rejoice. And that fullness of life that you yearn for and desire, hope, peace, love, guess where it's found? It's found in God and it's given to us in Christ and it's spelled out for you and I in black and white in this text. You see, our identity as Christians, it's not in what we do. It's in who Christ is and what he has done. So we want to develop patterns each day. Just take a little look who you really are in Christ from his word. The story is told of a a single father who was raising his young son because that boy's mom had passed away. And he was doing the very best that he could. The man had uh, a sizable income, very wealthy, and as the son grew, uh, he introduced him to his great passion of life, and that was art, specifically oil paintings. And the dad had already amassed quite a collection, but as the son got older, he actually started taking him on trips around the world and gave him a first-class education on the fine art of this world especially oil paintings, and taught him on how to actually even purchase some of the finest and most rarest paintings that existed in the world. What does that even look like? And their home was filled with all these amazing paintings, some of the finest artists of the world. As the son grew older um, and the country was at war, the call to respond as a soldier to fight for his country came. And that young man responded. The dad was very proud of his son for wanting to to serve in that capacity. He He was a little fearful, but boy, he was proud of his son because he was willing to do what is right and accept the call. So he embraced him, hugged him, wept, and that son turned and he entered into the armed forces. Several weeks later, the, uh, the father received a visit and a news that no dad would ever want to hear. I'm sorry, sir. Your son was killed in action. He died nobly. In fact, he died a hero. He was actually saving another soldier when he was killed. You have the gratitude of a nation. Thank you. I want you to know that that sent that father into a tailspin. He pretty much just kind of locked himself up in his house. And uh, he just was overwhelmed with grief. I mean, we could relate, right? And then several weeks later, there was a knock at his door. There was a young man, a soldier, carrying a package. He answered the door, and this young man looking at him said, you don't know me, but I'd like to introduce myself to you. You see, I'm... I am the soldier that your son saved. (laughs) Uh, You need to know that he actually saved many lives on that day, but he was carrying me to safety when he was shot. And he was shot right through the heart. He died instantly. And I want you to know that I am forever grateful 
to your son and to you. You know, he, I feel like I kind of know you. He talked about you and, and like your love for paintings and all of your adventures. And um, I'm not a painter, but I, I wanted to give you a gift. And so he handed in this package. And so this father opens this package up and it was this painting. And it wasn't a good painting, but it was a, it was a painting of his son. And although it wasn't a great painting, it had really captured the essence of his boy. The, do- the father was deeply moved. He said, how, how much do I owe you? I, I, you name it, I'd like to pay you for this. And I, the guy's like, no way. Uh-uh. This is a gift. I am so grateful. This is just a gift for you. Well, that became that father's prized possession. He put it at the mantle, and he looked at it every day for the rest of his life. As the dad got older... Uh, people knew that all this amazing art is going to go up for auction and it's going to be sold. And sure enough, the dad died and the auction was set and the people gathered. All these art collectors cannot wait to dive in and own some of this part of this precious collection. And on that day, the auctioneer got up to the pedestal and he uh, looked over and he said, well, um, the father is listed out. And he said, specifically, this man said that um, we are to begin with this first painting. And he pulled out the painting and he said, this is a painting of, of this man's son. It was over his mantle. It states right here in the directions that we're supposed to begin with this painting. So who will give me $100 for this? How about 200 for this man's son, a painting here? Everybody's like, come on. Let's get to the real work, you know. They're looking at this like, there's no value there whatsoever. He's looking around, finally, no one's moving. Finally in the back, there's an old man, he puts up his hand. It was the gardener that had worked for that guy all those many years. He says, I, I work for this man and I, I know his son. I don't have a lot of money, but I'll bid 10 bucks on it. $10, anybody going to raise me? Going once. Going twice, sold, 10 bucks. And then the auctioneer pounded his gavel three times and he said, this auction is over. And people were like, what? Wait a second here. Man, this isn't fair. We, we didn't need a bid on the real stuff. And the auctioneer with a smile on his face said, you know, it's written right here. In the will of the father, he who has the son has it all. All of this, it goes to you. And I tell you this, friends, because I have a question for you. Do you have the Son? Seriously, are you really redeemed? Have you turned from your sin? And have you put your trust and faith in Jesus for forgiveness and for life and for a glorious inheritance? Friends, it'll make all the difference in this life and most certainly in eternity. For he who has the Son has it all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your glorious truth that you've given us in your word. And for someone who is here today who has never truly trusted you, they're they're going through life and they're looking real hard at the mirrors of this world and it's left them confused and really walking in the wrong direction. But they are now see the beauty of Jesus and the wonder of salvation. Would they pray with me now and say, God,
you know about me and my waywardness and my sin. I turn from myself and my sin. And this morning, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus for forgiveness and for life. Everything that you've promised, God, I receive by faith. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, God, help us to live deeply in the riches of our salvation. Help us to love and to serve and to worship you in ways that are so profound because of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We love you because you have first loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.